Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we're releasing a bonus episode. This is my recent appearance on the Primal Foundations podcast with Tony Pascola. This episode was released on August 4th of 2023 and was titled Episode 1, that's right, Episode 1, Transforming Your Lifestyle, a deep dive into nutrition, fitness, and health with Casey Ruff. This was such an honor to be the very first guest on Tony's first ever podcast. Tony and I actually go way back to my days coaching at Rivero, um, which used to be me. RX. They no longer have a, a coaching platform, but I was coaching with them for quite a while. And Tony had hired me for a 30-minute conversation to help coach him on his endeavors into low-carbohydrate and carnivore with endurance sport, which I've had you know some experience with. He came very well prepared to that call and pretty much had the plan all sorted out by himself. He really didn't need me, as you'll hear in this conversation. But he is an awesome guy. We go way back. And like I said, it's just such a huge honor to be his very first ever podcast guest. Be sure to go follow him on Apple, where you can find podcast. Also be sure to subscribe to him on YouTube. You can find him on Instagram at Tony underscore Primal Foundations. You can go to his website, primalfoundations.com. He, just like us, offers a three free 30-minute consultation. So take him up on that. It's always so fun to chat with people. You can always take us up on that as well. But without further ado, enjoy this conversation. I really had a great time talking to Tony on the Primal Foundations podcast. Welcome to the Primal Foundations Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Pascola. This podcast will equip you with knowledge and tips to elevate your well-being and unlock your path to optimal health. Enjoy the episode of the Primal Foundations Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of the Primal Foundations Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Pascola. I have a very special guest today, Casey Ruff. He's a personal trainer, lifestyle coach, and performance enhancement specialist. Casey specializes in lifestyles such as low-carbohydrate, ketogenic, carnivore diets. Casey is also the host of the Boundless Body Radio podcast and How to Make a Podcast podcast. Casey Ruff, welcome, and thank you for joining us on our very first episode. Tony, dude. Okay. So I've, I've been on other podcasts. I'm always super grateful that anybody would ever want to chat to me about anything, but to be a very first guest on your show is beyond an honor. I'm just so thrilled to be here and so grateful for you. And, uh, yeah, thank you so very much for having me. It's a huge honor. Oh yeah. We're, we're, you know, very happy to have you No, automatically. I said, I'm gonna start a podcast. First person I reach out. Casey Ralph, for sure. You're you're amazing. It's <laughs> a, it's very cool, and it's such an honor. So, for those that don't know, um, Casey was actually my coach for a little bit. Uh, I had the crazy idea to do an Ironman uh, on the carnivore diet, and reached out to Casey because a lot of people said it couldn't be done. You're gonna, it can't be done. It should not be done. And reached out to Casey. He gave me some fabulous nutrition advice, training advice, heart rate advice. And I just want to say it again, thank you for that. Cause you know, all of your wisdom got me through, uh, the, the Iron Man and got me to the finish line. So thank you. Again. Oh man. Well, you're very welcome. I think if anybody were to sit in on the call that we had, they would realize that you basically didn't need me for hardly anything other than just verifying your own ideas. You came with a great plan and had done a lot of research and I didn't do much more than just say like, yeah, I think that's going to work great, dude. So yeah. it was a pretty easy session. Oh, you, you got, you got me there, which was awesome. <laughs> uh, so let's take a step back and I just want to you know, tell some of the listeners about your story and how you got to be a personal trainer and the path that kind of led you to the creation of your company, Boundless Body. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, you know, growing up, I was kind of the chubby kid, but I was always interested in sports. Um, you know, got into ice hockey at a very young age. I discovered weightlifting and would like, you know, be the nerd that would like get the magazines, um, and the books from the library and like tape up like workout programs on my unfinished basement wall, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Got into cycling eventually. Um, and I was in college actually in my twenties to study architecture, but I joined a big box corporate gym in an off season just to have some place to go to do my training. 
And I started observing the personal trainers there. And I just, I don't know, I thought it was fun. It was really appealing to me that these people were, you know, working with their clients that looked like they were having fun. They were helping these people get healthy. Uh, beyond that, they were also using heart rate monitors, which had been something I had used for a very long time. And, you know, coming on to the staff when I did, I knew more about heart rate monitors than their most educated, you know, trainer at the time knew about them. I knew how to program them and get the most out of them. So anyway, I ended up going into the personal trainer um, manager's office, asked him what I needed to do to get a job there. He told me what online certification to get, which I then got. Um, and yeah, I started that in March of 2007. Um, pretty soon after that, I was trained on how to use what is called a metabolic cart, which is basically a way to measure how our bodies are using calories, um, either resting or exercising at different levels. Like if you've ever seen like a VO2 max test, we were testing, validating that that's essentially what we were doing. Um, and so, yeah, that was, um, kind of my entry into personal training. I've been very fortunate to make it a career now that's been, you know, 16 and a half years. Um, I love it every day. I have no intention of, you know, stopping or retiring or doing anything different anytime time soon. Um, it, it's been a wonderful career. And yeah, so the story of Boundless Body um, LLC was really the story of my wife and I both working for the same big box corporation when the pandemic hit and we were put on unemployment. And so it was a really um, dark and confusing time. And I, I still, to this day, have no recollection of the first two weeks of the pandemic. I, it, mm -hmm. I blocked out those memories. Um, and, you know, in the stress and confusion of everything that was going on as the gym was reopening, we, we just saw that, you know, our, the clients that we did have were already changing their behaviors. They were working out from home. They weren't even going to the business complex where our gym, you know, was. So there's no motivation or incentive for them to, um, you know, go to this gym anymore. And they were dusting off their thigh masters and, you know, whatever equipment they had at home when you couldn't buy anything. And so we decided that the best thing for us to do just be open up our own company and just continue working with our people. So yeah, that's how Boundless Body was born um, three years ago yesterday, I believe. And so we just, you know, we work with our people locally here in the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, we also work with people virtually uh, doing nutrition coaching, personal training, making plans for people, helping them uh, similar to what we did with you with like cardiovascular type training and preparing them from different events. Uh, my wife is also a Pilates instructor and um, she also works with myofascial tissue and helps get people out of pain. So it's been a fun journey. It's been very interesting. Lots of uh, weird twists and turns and things like that. But um, yeah, it's been really rewarding. And then uh, going back to the heart rate monitor, I know you're saying you're getting into that. Didn't you have to like hawk something to go pay for your first <laughs> heart rate monitor? Was that uh, dude, good memory. Good memory. <laughs> I think my mom would still be mad at me about that. They were so mad. I don't even know why, but they gave me a TV VCR combo when I was 18 to take down oh, to college. Yeah. <laughs> and I returned it to get a polar, I think it was an M. M210 heart rate monitor. I thought it was so cool because you could program like your zones into it and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And every training ride I would do it, I would, I would like record my average heart rate and my max heart rate and mm -hmm. how many calories I burned and all that stuff. So yeah, I did have to hawk some stuff to get my first <laughs> monitor. Good memory. <laughs> uh, go, talking about the um, metabolic testing. So as you started, uh, you know, putting people on plans and, and getting these results. And what did you see as like when you first started in that, that industry? And then as you were going along, do you see any trends of, of, you know, different diets working and not? That's a really um, great question. I love that question. So yes, we had this amazing tool that we could hook up a mask to somebody. It would be connected to a box via an umbilical cord, which was hooked up to a computer. And um, basically based on how somebody was breathing, we were able to tell basically the, the number of calories that they were burning doing different activities. And so we could do that test, like I said, while somebody was resting. So we could measure their baseline kind of resting metabolic rate. Um, and we could also measure how many calories they would burn in different heart rate zones as they ramped up their um, uh, their, their heart rate basically as they picked up their intensity. And I have to say like in the beginning, like in 2007, we didn't think of it much more than just like total calories. And, you know, when somebody would come in and do a resting test, we knew that like you had to make sure the client was eating at least what the resting metabolic rate was. And we would have little sliders, right? That we'd like, we calculate like, okay, this is how many calories you burn at rest. So here's your activity level on an average day. You have an office job. That's maybe another three or 400 calories. How many calories do you want to work out in a day? We'd slide mm -hmm. that up. And then, you know, when we would say like, okay, how much weight do you want to lose? Okay, great. We just need to create a caloric deficit. So let's take the energy that you're eating, the calories that you're eating. Let's take that down to where you want that to be. Great. We've got 
got a 500 calorie deficit, you multiply 500 calorie deficit in a day to seven days, that's 3,500 calories, which is one pound. And so if you want to lose 10 pounds, you just need to do this exact plan for 10 weeks and you will lose 10 pounds, right? So (laughs) I think most of us know that that doesn't really work. And as trainers, we would set this up for people and then just think that people were just really terrible at following the advice. Like nobody Mm -hmm. was able to literally lose one pound a week based on the math equations that we were doing. And so it would be, you know, kind of frustrating for the client. It would be frustrating for us to see that our people were not getting really good results. Um, And again, we did the same thing while somebody was doing exercise. We'd ramp somebody up, um, slowly pick up their heart rate until they wanted to quit the test. We could see how many calories they would burn. The cool thing about our metabolic hearts, though, is they would go one step further. They would also measure the amount of fat versus the amount of carbohydrates that somebody was burning at all of those different stages. And initially, we would just look at that and say like, okay, at your target heart rate, you're burning about 70% carbohydrates. So your diet kind of has to match that. We need to make sure that you're eating plenty of those carbohydrates so that you can fuel those particular workouts that are burning lots of carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And again, that's all we kind of knew about that kind of stuff. And it really was a a huge turning point in my career when in 2012, we did a call. He was kind of a contractor. He was doing um, the same kind of testing that we were doing, but with a different company, his own kind of company. And he had learned through his experience working with very, very high-end professional triathletes and Ironman triathletes that He was able to manipulate the calorie burn rates of fat and carbohydrates by manipulating the diet. And so as a a cyclist at the time, you know, I'm consuming hundreds of calories of hundreds of grams of carbohydrates every single day. That's the only way you could do a ride that was longer than two hours, three hours, four hours without bonking is you just have to eat carbs before you go, eat carbs during your ride or run, eat carbs afterwards. And all of a sudden this guy's getting on and he's saying like, I'm feeding my athletes bacon and butter and they're eating Mm -hmm. cream and like avocados. And they only need like 50 calories an hour as they're out there competing at the highest levels. Mm -hmm. And it's just like this mind blowing, like, what the hell is this guy talking about? You're going to die. First of all, like all that (laughs) fat, like it's crazy, but but it was also the understanding that you could really manipulate and change somebody's diet based on or, or, or how they burn calories based on what they're eating. And so that was really a revelation. And it wasn't it wasn't until several years afterwards till I really truly got into the low carbohydrate and ketogenic and carnivore space. But that was at least the first kind of realization that, wow, diet does play a big part of this and we can help, um, you know, anybody who wants to increase their fat burn by changing their diet. Yeah, it's I get the whole thing. A calorie is a calorie is a calorie, right? Like I can uh, Weight Watcher style, you know, I can have this many calories. I can eat this, you know, but what what are you eating is going to be the biggest thing, you know, a, a, a thousand calories of Skittles versus a thousand calories of red meat. You know, it just, it doesn't, it's not the same. It's not, yeah, it's not the same. (laughs) That's such a good point. And, you know, it's not just like weight manipulation. Like you hear people in the space, like, I hate to name drop, but maybe like a a Dr. Lane Norton is talking mostly about like weight control or weight loss, Mm -hmm. weight gain. And like, yeah, maybe you can get away with that and call a calorie a calorie. And, you know, maybe somebody could be on a high carbohydrate diet and be able to do that. Like I, that's fair, but you're only talking about weight control. You're not talking about like, how does a person eating all the Skittles feel? Like, what is their mental Mm -hmm. quality? Like, how are they sleeping? Like that's going to affect everything in their life. And so it's just, it's such a short-sighted way of looking at things. And it's, it's unfortunate that it took me too long to learn those lessons. I I think we all, we all went through that and, you know, (laughs) uh, looking back, you know, as I was younger and most of us that were younger is like, you know, you had to just eat less, move more, and then you lose weight and that's what, yep. how it's supposed to be. And, but we get through these cycles of you just keep doing it and yo-yoing yep. and yo-yoing and it just yep. doesn't work. If it would have worked, it would have worked. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, so if you're talking about like a simple machine where like, if you have a toaster and you put toast in it or bread in it and you get toast and the toaster never really changed, maybe you could use white bread or brown bread and like, it doesn't change the toaster. It's the same thing. But the problem with us is we're so much more complex and complicated that Mm -hmm. the things that we do for our input then change the output over time. And so we knew that if you calorically were calorically 
um, you know, in a deficit for too long, that metabolic rate would be measurably lower. Like I would see it on those metabolic carts. Like I measured, for example, a person that did the biggest loser contest and after they got kicked off the contest, mm -hmm. um, and you know, after weeks of doing 1200 calories a day and six hours a day of workouts, her metabolic rate was in the tank. It was about a thousand yeah. calories less than what it should have been for somebody in her like same age, height, weight category. Um, and so, yeah, like the things that we do and the things that we eat create a new reality that then changes the equation. So we can't just use math to solve a biological equation. It doesn't work. Right. That's awesome points. I think uh, you kind of touched base on the kind of athletic piece and athletic performance on this diet. And for you, for cycling, especially, how has this affected you uh, on those, you know, long rides and um, your performance then versus now and what kind of contributes to that? That, yeah, great question. Dude, it is such a game changer. It's so amazing, as you well know, to live this type of lifestyle and to be able to perform athletically. So we have those two fuel sources, right? We've got the carbohydrates that we can burn. Um, we've got fat that we can burn. We can also eat protein as the third macronutrient, but we don't generally use that as an energy source. It's more just the fat and the carbohydrates. And the problem is one of storage, essentially, like you can't store an endless amount of carbohydrates. I'm staying up in the mountains here in Utah at my client's cabin. I had to drive an hour and change through the mountains to get here. And it's just, it's so interesting to see such an amazing variety of tons of plants and shrubs and grasses and all these plants at the end of summer growing everywhere. It's amazing and really beautiful. And you look out and you think like, there's no food that there is no food that I could be eating. If I was living a plant-based life, I would die. Like there's so little calories available in the form of carbohydrates and plant foods. And again, I'm driving through very natural habitats at the end of summer when things are definitely growing and blooming everywhere, but there's just not a lot of food. So it's just a supply problem. Like if you have such a limited supply of carbohydrates and you can only store a limited amount, it's not really that big of a deal because you need to be eating proteins and fats. Like to kill an animal be far easier and live on that for a, a way longer time. So, so the body has such a small storage of carbohydrates, but it has an almost endless uh, amount of storage that can be had from fat. Like we can just add more and more and more fat. And, you know, the most obese people you see, they may have 500,000, 600,000, 700,000 calories of fat energy that's already on their body. And if they just simply like stopped eating, their bodies eventually would learn how to use that energy source and burn it off and get rid of it. Um, we know of people that have been studied scientifically that have done fasting for over an entire year and they were mm -hmm. totally fine. They lost a bunch of weight, several hundred pounds, and they would be fine. So again, it's, it's a question of storage and what you can use. And so if I'm performing at a high level, but I'm burning mostly carbohydrates. My problem is I am going to run out. I have such a finite amount. Yes, I can take some in on the bike. Um, I can try to consume, you know, sugary drinks and gels and blocks and all the things that endurance athletes do or anybody in, in performance. And, you know, it, it makes your stomach hurt. It's logistically not that easy. You know, my pockets were always stuffed with a whole bunch of crap. And you needed that because when the body runs out of the carbohydrates, you bonk, you just hit the wall. I think most of your listeners understand like the time that maybe they had a workout that was too hard or went too long. And it's almost like a car running out of gas. You're like, it's good. It's good. It's good. And then you're out of gas, like mm -hmm. all of a sudden. And so that was the reality. Well, as a fat adapted athlete, you're not running on the carbohydrates, you're running on the stored fat. And again, even like the leanest person you've seen compete in the Tour de France, they don't have a lot of body fat, but they still have tens of thousands of calories of fat that they can use to help fuel their cycling, for example. So initially switching over to be, you know, adding more fat in the diet eventually led me to a low carbohydrate diet, which eventually keto, eventually carnivore, like you, your body is adapting to burning the fat and, and you don't need any of this stuff. And so where I had to eat before and eat during rides and be really hungry afterwards, it became that like, I could just go, like, it didn't matter whether it was two in the afternoon or 10 AM, what I'd eaten that day. You just kind of go when you feel really good. And whether your rides an hour, two hours, three hours, generally, like it doesn't really make a difference. You could do the whole thing fasted. And I do have, I don't, I don't compete anymore, but I do have benchmark rides that I do around the Valley that, um, 
they basically tell me how I'm doing. Like one's a basically like a one hour course, one's a 20 minute course. And mm-hmm. I'm writing those faster now, not competing at age 39 than I was back when I was competing 10 years ago. And I feel way better doing it. So it's really interesting. Um, but, but yeah, once you switch over to burning fat, it's really amazing how your performance can just increase. You're just not tied to the carbohydrates. You, you have the fuel on you. You just learn how to burn it. Yeah. I just, it hasn't really made the mainstream way yet. And it's just, it's kind of sad that that's, you know, there's only this one box you have to live in and uh, just, you know, the gel, like you said, the gels, the, the goose, all that stuff. You know, I, I went on a bike ride. Um, I can contest to the, just the distance you can go. Cause I remember my first century ride and I know you're an avid cyclist. It's not my strong suit. I, <laughs> it's so hard for me. I have little legs and it just takes me forever. But my first century ride, I, I went 50 miles out. I had my water bottle. I had some electrolytes in it. And the, and the only thing I stopped to have was coffee, a little bit of heavy cream in it because it was cold. And then I got back on my bike and went 50 miles back. And my coach at the time who was planning um, my rides and my runs, and he was like, what'd you pack? I'm like, nothing. He's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, nothing. I just... I fat adapted, man. Like this, I, I ran on my own body fat and, uh, but yeah, like Zach bitter, you know, the guy who he yep. set the hundred miler, uh, record. And I think he's done it like a few times, but he's a low carb. Uh, I know he does some fruit and other things, but he, you know, he really works on that fat adapted piece. Uh, you also mentioned, uh, talking about how going through, uh, you know, a long ride and seeing all of this, uh, green, you know, and, but not really food in sight. You know, can you kind of talk about kind of ancestrally us, you know, thousands, thousands of years ago to today in terms of like how we structure our food and how we get food. And I think you also mentioned one thing I'd love for you to want to talk about, because I didn't know this, the birthday apple. (laughs) 14 months. Yeah. (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah. We'll get to that for sure. Uh Um, Yeah. So, so, you know, we look at some of our closest primate relatives and we share a lot with them, but we've also diverged a lot from them. And for whatever reason, we chose different paths on how to feed ourselves. Um, I love the work of Dr. Bill Schindler when he says that 3.1 million years ago, like when a human species took a rock and bashed it against another rock and created a stone tool, we that was technology. That was the beginning mm-hmm. of technology for us. And we we didn't need claws or fangs or any of that kind of stuff when we had a rock that was far sharper and stronger and we had the know-how to be able to use it and leverage it for different technologies. And so that kind of set us down the path of what Dr. Binky Bendor also calls like, yes, we're omnivores, but we specialize. Like animals specialize in certain things. There's lots of animals that can have both plants and animals, but that doesn't mean it's the perfect 50-50 split and they're eating both all the time. Like Bears eat bear diets, tigers eat tiger diets, turtles eat turtle diets. You know what I mean? Like every species Mm -hmm. has their appropriate diet. And when we made tools, when we later on, you know, figured out how to like manage fire, we could cook our food and extract more calories out of that. We learned the, the safest, best way to extract calories for us that allowed us to evolve, to grow our brains. It changed our digestive system. You know, humans don't hang as much as, as primates, but we can throw like three times as quickly as they can. So, you know, hunting came into the picture and we were really good proficient hunters to the extent that we were um, killing off all the big species, wherever humans went, we were making giant fatty species um, go extinct because we would just overhunt them and kill them off. And so over time we'd have to hunt, you know, smaller and smaller animals um, and that continued for a long time. Our brains grew until about 12,000 years ago is what they kind of speculate that for whatever reason in certain parts of the world, we just decided to settle down and we started agriculture. So we started raising, you know, wheat and corn again, depending on where you were on the planet, rice and things like that. Um, and so that was a slow and kind of more gradual change that we settled down and, and started doing that and started changing our diet that way. Um, the bigger change came about 200 years ago when we started to industrialize our food. We were producing food and shipping it all over the planet. We learned how to make sugar very inexpensive, where it was super expensive, hard to find, very rare, was now we can make it from beets and we can, again, ship it everywhere. Um, you know, we had this like weird kind of problem in the 19, or I'm sorry, the 1860s, where we were 
harvesting more cotton. So, you know, there were more cotton seeds available and these seeds had a polyunsaturated oil on them that would literally go rancid and was like smelly and they needed to figure out what to do with it. So, you know, they thought maybe we could make this into a wax and put it in, you know, candles and soaps and things like that. Um, but eventually, you know, they created Crisco, stands for crystallized cotton seed, which is the first real like seed oil besides the um, kind of other stuff that was coming in and adulterating our olive oil at the time. And that made it into our diets. And the combination of those two things, you know, three things, I guess, refined grains, you know, cheap industrial sugar everywhere and seed oils. What are seed oils? So what's now known as like vegetable oils, which ironically don't have a single drop of vegetables in them right. um, yeah. that snuck into our diet. And so evolutionarily, we we needed to prefer the animal foods. And that's the way we're set up again, anatomically, biologically, physiologically, like that, that was our food that we decided to go to. And so when you change that quicker than we can adapt to the situation around us, we're going to have problems. And like, that's why we started to see like heart attacks were not a thing. And now all of a sudden people are getting them. And, you know, we started to think that maybe it was fat and cholesterol. So we recommended low fat diets and plant-based diets. And then now we have an obesity crisis and a diabetes problem. And, you know, it's, it's really crushed our health, unfortunately because we're eating the wrong foods. Yeah, you see this once we have this, uh, you know, the rise of agriculture, industrialization, and all of a sudden just disease so happily correlates yep. right with it. And um, yep. that's the stick curve. Yeah. And it's, and it's kind of hard. It's hard now to kind of talk with people about that because this is just such the norm now to kind of talk people into something else, a different type of diet yeah. where, you know, you don't have all of this food around you all the time. Uh, how do you work with your clients? If somebody's coming to reach out to you and they're just on the standard American diet, they're, they're, they're eating multiple, multiple times a day. How do you kind of get yeah. them over to, or kind of talk to them into, okay, this is what we feel is the best human aligned diet. Yeah. Great question. I love the point about the normalization or mm -hmm. like the normal is an average. We look around and we see average and I, I, I don't want to miss this. We've normalized the fact that you can walk into a grocery store in Toronto in March and buy mangoes. You know what I mean? Like we have mm -hmm. these fruits and vegetables available to us 365 days out of the year when apples are only available very briefly in the year, very seasonally, very location-based. You would only get them for a really short amount of time and then they would be gone. It would not be a food that you could rely on full time. So part, part of all of that is like, we don't, we don't, like we don't realize like, oh yeah, there's softball sized apples at the grocery store year round. Mm -hmm. Nobody stops and thinks like, where did this come from? When did this come from? And most, according to one kind of research project they did, they said that the average size, the average age of an apple, when it's been picked to when the consumer buys it in a grocery store is 14 months. That's wow. uh, it's pretty crazy. In the industry, they call them birthday apples because yeah. they're picked. They need to be stored somewhere, usually in a silo. Lots of times they're pumped with some kind of wax chemical that keeps mm -hmm. them you know, more preserved and fresh. So by the time you see them in the beautiful cellophane container at Costco and these massive sugar bomb apples, like maybe stop and think like, okay, this the Costco employee didn't just go pick this in the back of Costco. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> um, the question about clients. Yeah, so, you know... I think you would agree that like, we're not going to accomplish much by um, telling everybody they're wrong about stuff. I think we need to meet people where they are and people have very entrenched ideas about what healthy nutrition is. Um, and we've bastardized so many, you know, you and I would consider healthy things that people, it, it takes time to come around. They, they know inherently that cholesterol is bad for you. The saturated fat is bad for you. That spinach and almonds are health foods. Mm -hmm. Like people, people know that. And so we're not, we're not trying to change anybody's opinion, but if somebody's coming to us, we definitely want to hold their hands and help them understand some of these concepts. Um, and so like a presentation I'm doing later today, really going to start by focusing on, you know, the, the, the idea of calories in calories out and pointing out to the people who are attending the seminar, like, I'm sure you've tried this. Everybody has tried this. Why did it fail? If it was so awesome, why didn't you lose all the weight? Why wasn't the weight loss linear? Why did you plateau with very poor energy, feeling cold, feeling tired, feeling hungry, having cravings, and you gained all the weight back and then some? 
what happened? Like that's happening to a hundred percent of people out there. We need to stop and consider that. And maybe let's talk about a different way forward and let's teach people how to be really, really good at burning fat. And that's, I think what most people want to do is, is learn how to use fat as an energy source, do that by limiting carbohydrates, increasing protein, increasing fat in the diet, whether that's, you know, fasting, carnivore diet, low carb approach, whatever that is for somebody, uh, we can work with them and try to move them in that direction. But that's the thing we really try to focus on is if somebody is willing to let's at least get them eating more animal products, get them eating more eggs and red meat and see where that path leads them. And I find more often than not, the once somebody's willing to try to at least move in that direction, they start to notice, oh, I am feeling better. My energy is better. And they're more willing to continue to adjust things over time. Awesome. I, I feel so my, my whole, everything that I'm kind of doubling down on right now is I, I've named my company Primal Foundations because it has these four pillars. You know, it's nutrition is the one piece, um, movement, strength, and recovery. The two things I want to talk about is um, kind of in line with nutrition is fasting. And I definitely want to talk about some strength training. So in terms of fasting, how do you utilize fasting in your life? Um, whether that be, you know, on the day to day, because I know some people do the OMAD, um, you go from OMAD or you're not, you do two day or two meals a day. So how do you incorporate fasting into your, your lifestyle? Great question. And um, yeah, when I first transitioned over to carnivore, I found that doing OMAD was very easy for me to do. So essentially doing one meal a day, usually later in the day, I was eating strictly ribeyes and it was easy for me to go 24 hours. And just to be clear, like there's a lot of semantics with this, but fasting to me is just like a period of time where you're not eating, right? Like mm -hmm. you don't need to get caught up and like, is this intermittent fasted? Is time restricted eating? Is this extended fasting? Like there's so many different protocols. Um, and so the way I look at it is like, if you're not hungry, you don't have to eat. And if you're not eating, then you're fasting. And so the way I incorporated in my life for a long time was doing one meal a day. I did start to notice that it was becoming difficult for me to get an adequate amount of protein for my activity level. And I started to notice the signs and symptoms of a metabolic slowdown. I was feeling a little bit colder, especially my hands and feet. My energy wasn't as good. I could feel myself holding on to fat in the midsection. And so I decided I had to bail out of that. And so for the last year or two, I've been doing really well with two meals a day. I will typically eat my first meal anytime around like 10 to two. And that's normally like six to 10, uh, hard boiled eggs. And then I'll still have my big meal at night and focus on the fats and proteins. I get so satiated from that dinner meal. It is easy for me to go until the next meal. Mm -hmm. And I do focus on trying to get that, that meal of the day where I'm eating exclusively eggs somewhere in the middle part of the day. But this week was a good example. Like there was one day where I knew I had back-to-back -back -back clients at a certain period, so I had to eat a little bit e earlier than I normally would. There was mm -hmm. another day where I was simply too busy. I had to work through all of my clients. I wasn't done with work that day until 4 p.m. I missed my window to get that second meal, but I was fine. You know what I mean? Like You have the flexibility to fast, and so I want people to approach it in that way, not thinking like, I'm going to fast. It's going to look like this. It's exactly mm -hmm. what Tony or Casey do or what somebody says or like the 16-8. It's like, no, 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 no. Just focus on the right foods. Focus on the animal products. Red meat is a great foundation. Lots of fat, lots of protein. And then really give yourself permission to do what nobody really thinks about. And, and we're told not to think about is like, eat to full satiety. Like eat until you are fully, fully, fully satiated. Mm -hmm. Don't try to eat until you're 80% full or, you know, all the advice I used to give people in the past, like, no, no, no. Eat until like you, whatever food you're eating, almost you get this like aversion where you almost don't even want to look at it anymore because you had enough and your body's telling you've had enough. And then to fast is just a natural byproduct of that. You're just, I'm, I'm not hungry. I'm burning fat as my fuel source. Let me just go about my day. Um, I'll, I'll eat when I'm hungry and that's usually later on. And so I think people can make it really easy on themselves as far as fasting goes that way. There may be more specific reasons that somebody would do like a more targeted fast, um, for people having great results with things like cancer and chemo treatments by doing longer extended mm -hmm. fasting. I think people who are, you know, really need to lose a lot of weight as long as they're, you know, really, um, educated about their protocols and make sure they're not over fasting. Um, there might be more specific things that those people need to do, but for the most part, I just want people to eat until they're fully satiated. And then just don't worry about eating until they feel hungry again. Yeah. I think it's super intuitive just to kind of listen to your own body too. You know, sometimes we get in this mindset of like, Oh, the, I'm doing the OMAD or I'm doing this, or I'm doing a three day fast. I have to, I, I have to, I have to. Whereas just if you, your body's feeling you're hungry and you really need to eat, you eat. And then just kind of, 
echo what you're saying is, you know, and you mentioned this to me before when we were talking in some coaching sessions, you're like, eat until you're full and have a couple more bites. And I was like, Oh yeah. I, I mean, I'm like, Casey, I could do that. Yeah, sure. You're like, uh, <laughs> I was bad. like, I'll eat more. Don't tell me. I will. And you're like, yeah, not eat, bad. eat four more bites. And then when you're really <laughs> full, then don't eat. And then when you're hungry yep. again, you eat. And it'd yep. be, people would be so surprised how I'll post steaks. I'll post things on my Instagram of whatever. And people may like, man, you really eat like that. I'm like, yeah, like, you had yeah. two steaks. It's like, yeah, but that's all I eat. Like that's all I have for the day. Um, I yep. go in between, I go, Oh man. And I'll have two meals a day. Sometimes I'll have a breakfast. Sometimes I'll have something later, but just, I don't have to think about my meals. I'm not prepping all the time. I hate food prepping and just having the ability, I call it like a superpower. The ability to fast is a superpower. And you don't have yep. to be running all over the place all the time looking for food. And if yep. I get into a place where I don't have it or access to it or access to something that's healthy, I'm okay. People yep. freak You're out okay. all the time. <laughs> so but yep. um totally no uh, that's such a good point. And I want to I want to just hit something that you mentioned which I think mm-hmm. is so so important that I love. Um in, intuition, intuitive eating. If you were to turn me loose in a typical grocery store, um, and you just told me like everything is within the limits of what you can eat, go eat intuitively. I would go to the ice cream section and I would eat all the ice cream and then I'd go grab a pie and I would eat the pie. Like that would be my intuitive eating. When you eat a carnivore style diet, already you've just eliminated so much of the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Now you have the meat section, the egg section, maybe dairy if that's included. Now try to intuitively eat. And I think you'll be able to do it. I'll give you a good example. Our good mutual friend, James Lehman, amazing Mm -hmm. person. Everybody should follow him, the carnivorist on Instagram. He does what you do and he posts his board picture, right? Mm -hmm. Like every day he'll post like what's on the board and it will be different combinations of meat. Sometimes it's chicken, different combinations of red meat. Um, And this week he posted something with salmon on it. And I don't like salmon. I have salmon like once or twice a year. And all of a sudden I was like, damn, that salmon looks really good. And I still Mm want to go eat that. I believe that's our bodies being intuitive with the right food that we should eat, where maybe some foods won't sound good, but for whatever reason, your body might be craving some nutrients if you, as long as you eliminate all the crappy processed stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and speaking about ice cream and things like that, have you ever, I know myself, if I go off then the diet and if I have something where it's like a sweet, a treat or whatever, um, I know how I feel after the fact. Uh, so has that ever happened to you where you're just like, Oh, I'm going to try something. I'm going to have a little something sweet or whatever. How does your body react to that? Yes. Very poorly. Uh, (laughs) great, great question. Um, it was two years ago. So in, in Utah, in the Salt Lake area, um, the 24th of July is called pioneer day. And it's a bigger holiday than even like the 4th of July around here. Like it's a big deal. And it's when the Mormon pioneers kind of entered the Valley and settled down. So the Mormons celebrate that. Anybody who's not Mormon celebrates pie and beer day, kind of poking fun and also having something to celebrate. Mm -hmm. So I'll never forget. It was two years ago. Um, I decided to have a pie and, you know, I was planning on eating a piece or two and I ate some, and then I ate some, and then I ate some, and then I ate some, and I I could not stop until Mm -hmm. that thing was gone. I never have thought I've had anxiety, but that was one of the first things I noticed about carnivore diet is my mind just really settled down and quieted down. And I really Mm -hmm. love that feeling, dude, after eating that pie, I couldn't sleep. My brain was just spinning and all this stuff that was never going to happen about the business failing and the house is going to fall over. My wife's going to leave. My dog's going to die. Like it was crazy. And I just, I learned that day. I'm like you, dude, I can't do it. I can't do sugar for sure. Mm -hmm. Recently we went on a trip. Um, I I forgot to like take French fries off of the order. French fries come normally they're gross anyway. So they weren't tempting. These ones look good. So I tried one. Then I had two more, then I had two more and then I had it in the ketchup. Dude, I I leveled the whole thing. So (laughs) I don't, I don't know. I would call myself a sugar addict. I think I need to be abstinent. I don't know what you call that, but I will tell Mm -hmm. you that those are two examples of me eating a lot more of stuff. I know I don't want to be eating way longer than I wanted to stop. I could not stop. So I'm like you, it, it's, I've got to be abstinent. I have to just not have those things. My life is so much easier. I feel so much better. My brain functions so much better when that's the case. Yeah. And we talk about the body intuition. I mean, uh, I'll be guilty. I've had, you know, an ice creamer here, there, whatever. I'm like, you know what, let me have something or celebrating with friends or whatever. And it's like, my body is the greatest lesson to me because 
when I have those things, I'm like the next day I'm like healing over. I'm like, geez, I only had a like cookie or like two scoops of ice cream. And I'm like, now I have, now I have to go strict again. I can't do this anymore. And then I might go eight months, right? Eight, nine months. And then I might have another something little thing, you know, Um, you know, because here's the thing I, and I tell people all the time, it's like, you you can't be super, super strict, like to the point where it's like, you're not going to stick with it anymore. It's okay to like go a little here and there. Um, And it depends on the person again, me fruit, like I, I try to avoid it now because when I, I would mess around with fruit and um, I thought I always thought it was a good alternative to like, if I go to a birthday party or whatever, and I don't want the cake, I'm going to have some fruit. That's the alternative for me. I'm making a healthy choice. But like you were saying, I can't stop eating it. I'll just yeah. have a piece, have a berry, have a this, have a that. And I just would overconsume way more yeah. calories. And um, I, again, I have to stay away from it as well. Uh, but um in terms of, you know, increasing that metabolic rate, we've kind of talked about things to eat. We talked about fasting. So I want to kind of couple these next two together, some, some strength training and movement. And so how do you approach that? What's your philosophy for your clients of, you know, strength training, like frequency, duration, and then movement? What is, what is the right amount for like, if, let's just talk about like an average person. Amazing question. I'm so glad you're so mindful of the way you call it movement. A mm-hmm. lot of people call it exercise, and I think it's very mindful of you to call it movement. And I, I do the same thing. I call it the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So when we're talking about positive impacts on our metabolism, we can leverage exercise to have our metabolic rates be running at a really good speed and burning, you know, lots of fat, lots of calories, which is basically kind of what we want. Um, and so strength training is a big part of that. Strength training teaches the body how to be inefficient with calories, which again, that doesn't sound like a great thing, but what that means is that the body has plenty of calories and it needs those calorie resources to do things like build muscle or make your bones stronger. Like all those things that we think are very beneficial and they are, it's just an expensive process. So your body's Mm -hmm. not going to go down that path. If it doesn't have to, it wants to conserve and be really miserly, um, and, and save calories. And that's what cardiovascular you know, that we even call it cardiovascular exercise, quote unquote, mm-hmm. is a little bit weird. Like aerobic exercise is, you know, what it should be more commonly referred to. But anyway, um, doing doing the cardiovascular type exercise, aerobic exercise, that teaches us over time to be more efficient with our calories. So that's good if you are doing triathlon, running a marathon, like that will help you get to the finish line using the least amount of calories. But that's also going to have a, a decreasing effect on your metabolism, metabolic rate. Strength training, again, is the opposite. So the type of strength training that I was coached up to do um, for many, many years is called functional training. You know, I'm a hockey player. So if I were to train me in a gym, I would find all the movements that look like hockey and I'd hop back and forth. Like I was skating or I'd swing mm-hmm. a heavy stick. Like it's, you know, me slashing my buddy in the thigh or something like all the things that I might, might look like hockey, you know, and do them in the gym. And I've really come to appreciate the work of Dr. Doug McGuff and John Little, who wrote the book Body by Science. And their concept is, look, like none of those things are actually hockey. Hockey is on ice. It's on a sheet that's a specific size. You play it with your smack talking buds. It's five on five with goalies. Like there's a context, right? And Mm -hmm. so you can't really mimic that in the gym. What you can do in the gym is make yourself very strong. And that will make you strong for whatever event you want to go do. And then go spend the rest of your time practicing your sport in the context of your sport. And so they promote um, really no more than about 15 to 20 minutes a week of exercise, strength training, exercise. I, I recommend more than that for people, um, especially if they are getting good results and want to do that. But the concept is that you use whatever equipment you have, whether it's machines, free weights, you know, cheap, inexpensive, like bands that you can get from Amazon. But the goal is to push yourself inside of a set to this point of like, you know, I call it, it's been called like muscular failure. It's like muscle success where you cannot any longer push a weight. Like you're getting to that wall of like, man, I'm I like get a little bit of anxiety. It's not like a high intensity as far as like your heart rate or like your sweating rate. Like you could do this mostly nose breathing, but the point is to, mm-hmm. to tell your body that the level of strength that you are at is inadequate. And you can only do that by pushing yourself all the way to failure. So the body says like, wow, like, okay, like, I don't know. I don't know what this guy was doing, but 
we need to get stronger. We have to get stronger. He was pushing something we couldn't push anymore. So let's shuttle those resources, shuttle the calories over to building muscle, building connective tissue, strengthening the bones, like we talked about. And so whenever somebody does strength training, they can do things very safely. They don't have to move quickly. Um, but they want to get to like a, like a very close to, you know, muscle failure. And again, all of that has a positive impact on the metabolic rate. Um, people should notice that their strength is improving. They're having good energy. They feel warm. Um, those types of things. So yeah, whatever anybody else wants to add to that, like, you know, kettlebell training, TRX training, that that's all fine. And that's, we've got so many different tools that we can utilize and teach people to do lots of different things. But in general, following the principle that when you strength train, you go pretty deep, it's pretty intense as far as that, like muscular, um, kind of intensity goes. Yeah. I, I stopped to write down muscle success. I think that's a fan. <laughs> I'm stealing that hundred percent for all my clients. Uh, cause we always, we always talk about and I, I say this in the gym all the time, um, and I, you might have the same experience. You know, I was like, if you're trained to complete failure, you're trained to fail. And yeah. you know, there's and there's a lot of ego that comes in the gym sometimes, and where people want to compete with one another. And I've had I've had a situation where I've actually I'm watching the room. I got a class of eight, and we're doing whatever kettlebell training, some lifting. You know, it's a strength and conditioning class, and I cut the whole thing short. I think I cut it like at 18 minutes. It was supposed to be designed for like 24. It's like every minute on the minute type deal. Everybody's form was going. People were going way too hard. And they have heart rate monitors. Uh, some people have them, uh, my zones. Yep. And they think it's okay to be in the red. And I'm yeah. like, that's not good to be in the, you can't just redline the whole entire class. And that's I was right. like, all right, we're done. And everybody's yeah. like, what? I was like, yeah. that's good. We're good. I'm, 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 I was like, I'm happy. I'm like, I like everybody was putting in some great work. Um, you know, we're good. If you want to get on like a recovery walk or a recovery row, you can. And they were, they were like, wait, so we can leave. I was like, yeah, they were like, they didn't want to believe that they, they felt like I was tricking them. And I was like, that's, but that's the, what I get a lot is that mentality. You, you like run across that when you have clients and you talk about strength training and, you know, you know, the minimum effective dose. That's a, that's some yep. thing I hear from a lot of different people. I think I've heard you say too, the minimum effective dose. Do they kind of give you any pushback or kind of question like why I can do more? Why can't I do more? You, yeah. And that's such a, I, I love that you stop that class. That's to me, the sign of a really, really good trainer who knows what they're doing and knows their people and can explain that really well. Um, yeah. You know, you sometimes do get pushback. Um, I, we would, we would get the people when we were at the corporate gym, especially that would be like, yeah, but, but, but like, I, I want to push myself harder. Like I want to go do these classes. Like you're telling me I've got to work out easier. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I, you can do whatever you like, but think about whether you want a hard workout or whether you want to get results. So you, take your pick. Like mm -hmm. you can have hard workouts for sure, but they're not going to lead you to the results that you want. So they need to be really mindful about that. And then, yeah, use the rest of the time to move. Any kind of movement is great. Whatever people enjoy walking in particular has been my absolute favorite thing since the pandemic. I think, you know, as long as you're not over like pushing it too far, like into pain or things like that, I think it's like a linear benefit. Like the more you can do it, the better get outside, um, you know, get fresh air. I started, you know, years ago when we were doing step challenges, I started parking at the very back spot of a parking lot and walking a long way to the store. I never mm -hmm. stopped doing that. And so that's just, you know, accumulated so many steps over the years and people can just do really simple things to just move, especially if they're outside in nature as ideal, but either way, just any kind of movement that people really enjoy, just as long as it's keeping that intensity fairly low. Yeah. And, and there's something to that too, because I mean, if you were to talk to me five years ago and people are talking about, um, like walking, I'd be like walking, like, come on, come on. what I walking, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that hard. <laughs> then I, we got lockdown pandemic. I was still working out in the apartment doing, I was doing something. I was working out still push-ups, you know, sit, uh, whatever, uh, Sean T insanity. I was doing all those kind of things in the apartment because you couldn't do anything. All the gyms were shut down. And I was still working out, but I was somewhat trying to eat healthy. You know, we're all locked down. So everybody kind of gorged a little bit and ate things that they shouldn't, me in particular. And I just was like, how the hell am I gaining so much weight? I'm working out. I'm not eating super bad. I'm like, how am I gaining so much weight? And I started to realize, well, I'm a PE teacher by trade. Every day I'm walking. And like my watch, well, my watch is set to 30,000 a day. Wow. And like, it'll go off at 30,000. And sometimes I'm hitting that it's like mid afternoon, 30,000. Cause we go one side of the building, the other side of the building, I got to get equipment. I got to go here. I got recess duty. I'm on my feet all day. And I just did not 
think about it. And then when you sit down for that long every day for three months, it all, it all adds up. And I was like, now I'm like, I'm a big fan of walking. I, I you know, my mom, my mom, she has lost 25 pounds, you know, wow. she, she's, she's actually doing very, very well. Um, I got her not, she's not a carnivore by any means. And my sister too, she isn't a carnivore by any means, but they're like making decisions of we're working out more. My mom's like, I'm getting my walks in. She goes, she does aerobics in the pool. And she's like, if I have a burger, right, I don't have the bun. I try to skip the French fries. You know, she'll still do greens and she'll do chicken, all kinds of stuff like cool. that. But she's just being more mindful. And she's just like, I, I, she gets her walks in. And just by eating a little bit better and walking, I mean, I, t- I want her to start strength training, strength training for sure. And I, I'm trying to work with her. Like, just it doesn't have to be barbells. It could be machines, you know, for right now. And uh, I, she needs that as she's getting older. But. I mean, just that little change of walking an hour, hour and some change every day, plus eating right. Wow. Simple. Huge. Simple. Huge. Yeah. Simple. Yep. Awesome. I love it. I love it. And yeah, people can find really easy ways to work that in. Like take a walking meeting. Like there's lots of meetings that we do that you can take over the phone. Like you can find ways to be creative and, you know, take 15 minute breaks if that's all you can do. But yeah, it, it will definitely reward itself for sure. Great practice. It's awesome. Uh, Casey, I know we're about like 45 minutes in, um, you know, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I think this has been an awesome, awesome conversation. And again, I'm just so happy to have you on the first episode. And I think all the listeners get it. You just dropped a lot of knowledge for us, which is amazing. So how can people find you, get in touch with you uh, and follow you? Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Tony. It's really been a pleasure. And I can say after one episode, you are a natural host. You do a great (laughs) job. That was a really great interview and you asked really good and interesting questions. Uh, The easiest place to find us is on our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. They can find our podcast, which is Boundless Body Radio. That's also found on all the different platforms. We do releases every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. yeah. And on, on our website, you can find our social media stuff. So the usual Facebook, um, Instagram, um, Twitter, that kind of thing, if you want to follow us there, but also, um, the, one of the first things you'll see on the website is a book now button where anybody around the world can book a complimentary 30 minute session. Um, we can talk about your goals. We can talk about nutrition or exercise, whatever somebody wants to chat about. I've also had tons of people that really just reached out to like introduce themselves and got to know some of our listeners. So it's been really fun, but that would be the best place. And like I said, we always offer that free 30 minute consultation for anybody who wants to chat and they can find that on the website, myboundlessbody.com. Awesome. I'll definitely link that in the show notes. And thank you again. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the Primal Foundations podcast. Thank you all for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, like, and share. See you all next time on the Primal Foundations podcast. So thanks again for listening to my recent appearance on the Primal Foundation podcast with Tony Pascola. Like I said in the introduction, it was such an honor to be uh, hosted on episode number one of his show. He is a great host, as you heard in this conversation, and is going to have many other awesome conversations. So be sure, like we said in the introduction, to follow him on Apple, subscribe to him on YouTube so you don't miss any of his content, which would be fantastic. And as always, thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. If you haven't done the same for us, please follow us on Apple. Uh, Make sure to give us a rating and review as it's a great way for more more people to find our show. You can always subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, where we have lots of great content there. Um, But either way, just thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio.